1: Thank you, Rob. If you would uh, take your Bibles, please, and open them to the Book of Galatians, and we'll be studying just a portion of Galatians chapter four. And uh, while you are looking for that, let me just uh, say that the the service for Um, Delvin Smith will be here at the church Thursday afternoon at two o'clock and visitation will be Wednesday at uh, bland Hackelman funeral home from six until eight that evening. This is part two of our series that, uh, we've entitled who's better. And we're discussing the, the dangerous habit of comparing ourselves to others. And, and actually, I guess, let me back up and say it's probably, more than just a dangerous habit. I'm afraid it crosses over the line into the category of sin. Even though, of course, um, when we compare ourselves to others, we would never want to think of it as sin. If, if you were here last week, you hopefully remember that the bottom line for a for lesson, for as well as the entire series, is a simple statement. There is no win in comparison. There is no win in comparison. And and I'd like for all of us to just say that together. And, and for those that are at home watching this on live stream, or if you're listening on the radio right now, let's just all say this together. There is no win in comparison. One, two, three, there is no win in comparison. Let's do it again. One, two, three, there is no win in comparison. And the reason there is no win in comparison because is because there's always somebody with more errr. Remember, those of you that were here last week, uh we we called it the land of er. You know, they are richer. They are skinnier. They are smarter. They are taller. They're prettier. They're happier. They are hipper, talented-er, good-er. And so every time you're around with someone that has more er, You get depressed and think, oh, if I had more-er, then my life would be so much better. But then on occasion, we come across those who have less-er. You know, they're not richer. They're not skinnier. They're not -er. talented-er. And what happens then is you begin to feel superior. So there's no win in comparison. If you missed the first lesson because it lays the foundation for this series, you might want to catch the podcast and you can, podcast and you can access that through our website. Um, last week to help us with this problem of comparison, we studied the words of Solomon from the Old Testament. Today we will study the words of the Apostle Paul from the New Testament. Again, the book of Galatians. Galatians was a letter written to first century Christians in a place called Galatia. It was written about twenty to twenty-five years after Jesus rose from the dead. Let's uh, let, let's read this. You can follow along. Galatians chapter four, verse four, and I'll be reading today from uh, the NIV translation. But when the time had fully come, by the way, do you know what that means? Um, when the time had fully come. It just means that when God was good and ready, that's what that really means. So when God was good and ready, when, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. Now, let me explain that statement, born under law, because this, this is kind of the, the pivot point uh, for our lesson today. I was born under law. You might not have known this. But you were also born under law. And what that means is that you were born accountable to the law of God as, as was revealed in the Old Testament, accountable to the law of God as is, as was revealed in the New Testament, but also accountable to the law of God that was revealed or written on your heart. God said in Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Let me try to explain this. You know, we all know what it's like to do something or say something or look at something, and, and at times it happens immediately, other times it's delayed, but a feeling comes over us, and it's like, hmm, you know, I probably shouldn't have done that. I probably shouldn't have said that. Um, I probably shouldn't have looked at that website. I I probably shouldn't have reacted that way. I I probably shouldn't have said that about someone else because that was gossip. And man, I, I wish I could take that back. Now, what causes that? Well, that's the law of God that he has written on our hearts. And it causes us to have a sense of right and wrong. And I know that our sense of right and wrong can be shaped by our environment. And and that's why parents, those of you that are parents, listen up here. It's important to make sure that your home is a place where the principles of the Bible are not just taught, but they're caught. In other words, that you just not spout off and, and repeat hollow Christian cliches, but that you also live out the principles of the Bible because environment makes a difference. What happens in your home makes a huge difference. But scripture also teaches us that, that there's something within us that, that, that I call a, a sense of ought. And a sense of ought not. And uh, that's the law of God that's written on our heart. One more example. Last week I asked you that convicting question at least it was convicting for me. Have you ever secretly celebrated someone else's failure? Maybe you have a friend, and from your perspective, they have the perfect life. You know, their kids are perfect, their teeth are perfect, their car never needs to be washed. But one day they call you and tell you that they're having a little bump in their marriage or they pour out their heart about one of their quote-unquote perfect kids. You thought they were perfect. They got into trouble. And, and on the phone you go, oh, that's too bad. My heart breaks for you. But on the inside you're going, yes. Finally they've got some problems. Welcome to the real world, buddy. Now you know what the rest of us go through. A- anybody don't raise your hand but, because every hand would probably have to go up. Anybody ever experienced that elation when somebody has a bump in their life? But immediately, you know that your attitude is wrong. And you hope your pastor never finds out about your attitude. And you cover up that bad attitude and put on a nice face and a smile. But at the end of the day, you know, you know you're not as nice as people think you are. And I can say the same thing about myself. At the end of the day, I know that I'm not as nice as what I try to make people think I am. You know, I I think it's totally accurate to say that all of us have a, we have a side that is hidden. And that doesn't mean that we have a secret life of sin going on. but, But here's what it means. It just means that on occasion, we have bad attitudes that pop up. On occasion, we do things, we say things that are questionable. On occasion, we do gossip. On occasion, we are cranky and irritable and judgmental. And of course, we try to keep those things hidden and and only present the good side of us when we're around people. Well, here's what happens because we feel guilty about our bad attitudes and our crankiness to make ourselves feel better. what, What do we do? We begin comparing ourselves to other people and... And of course, we can always find people that are worse than we are. You know, we can always find people with worse attitudes. We, we can always find people that do more bad things that, than we do. We can always find people that have worse addictions. And we say, you know, I, I'll admit that I struggle forgiving him because he really hurt me, but that's nothing like so-and-so. I mean, they're addicted to cigarettes or alcohol or prescription meds, and, and, and it makes us feel better when we find out that these people with worse issues are a board member at a church. Doesn't it? Or a Sunday school teacher or, or, or maybe even a pastor. And and so we think, you know, I've got my issues. Yeah, I'll admit, but I'm certainly not as bad as that leader in the church. And, and we begin to justify our attitude to make us feel better about ourselves. But then once in a while, as we compare ourselves to others, we come across that person that just seems to be perfect and have the perfect life and have the perfect wife and and we begin to think well if I could just be like them and have what they have then my life would be perfect as well but then one day I had an epiphany that just means a a moment of uh, you know revelation something just came to came to mind and I discovered something do you want to know what I discovered you're about to find out um This was such a revelation to me. I discovered that the people that I thought had the perfect life, you know, because they had a good job, they had a good spouse, a good house, a good car. I discovered that from their perspective, they didn't really think they had the perfect life. That was a shock to me when I realized that. And, you know, from my perspective, yes, they may have accomplished far more than I'll ever accomplish in life. And, and they may pastor a bigger church than I'll ever pastor. And that's not my goal anyway, but it sounds good sometimes. And they may have way more stuff than I'll ever have. And they may look better than I'll ever look. And, and they're more popular than I'll ever be. One day I discover that when you dig beneath the surface, those people that, from my perspective, had the perfect, carefree, ideal life, They still had insecurities and struggles and problems and stress. And so, if you ever begin to think, well, the missing link to having a perfect life would be to, you know, just be better looking or or have a better job or have better kids or, or live in a better town or have a better husband or a better wife. Know that none of those things will give you the perfect life. At the end of the day, no matter what you have, no matter how famous you are, no matter how well your kids behave, no matter how straight and white your teeth are, no matter how clean your car always is, the truth is that we all have our struggles. Don't ever look at them and think they have the perfect life without stress and without struggles. Well, because the Apostle Paul understood human nature, he went to the root of the problem and... And he helps us understand that there is no bank account that is large enough. There is no talent that is extraordinary enough to erase all of the insecurity that we have. Because when we were born, listen to this, this is a little bit of theology, a little bit of doctrine, but we were born into a broken relationship. You now, some of you, you come from a broken home. You know, as, as a child, and some of you here, you've even experienced a broken relationship in your own marriage But newsflash, the truth is that we all come from a broken relationship. And that is a broken relationship with our Creator. And that has brought about a deep, deep level of insecurity that goes clear down to the core of our soul that causes us to want to compare ourselves with others. Well, Paul continues on in Scripture. It only took about 10 minutes to get through one phrase here. Let's see how it goes here. When the time had fully come, when God was ready, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law. Now, this is huge. Th- this means that, that through Christ, God did something for everybody who was born under the law, which would include you, me. You know, it includes Jews. It includes Gentiles. It includes religious people. It includes non-religious people. It includes good people and and bad people and pagans and drug addicts and alcoholics. It includes LGBTQIA. Did I get all of the letters here? It includes straight. It includes agnostics. It includes all people at the right time. God sent His Son into this world to redeem all of us. Would you please say amen? Amen. And the word redeem is a transactional, it's a financial term. And here's what it means. It means to buy back. It means to win back. It means to regain what has been lost. It, it, it means to reattach something that has become unattached. It means to rejoin something that has become separated. And so at the right time, God sent His Son into this world to redeem, to buy back all of us who were born under the law and had a broken relationship with our Creator. Well, Paul goes on and says something even more amazing. Yes, it's incredible that God sent His Son to redeem us. That that deserves an amen. But it gets better. To redeem those under law That we might receive the full rights of sons. And literally it means to be adopted into sonship. Now, this is so awesome. Paul says that the goal that that God had when he sent Jesus into the world wasn't simply to say, well, you're forgiven of your sins, which is pretty amazing. The, the, The goal wasn't simply to say, now when you die, you get to go to heaven, which is also more than cool. He said it's so much bigger than that. What God did when He sent His Son Jesus into the world, He made it possible, and this is big, He made it possible for you to be, and He chose this word intentionally, to be adopted and receive the full rights of sonship. Now, the ancient Jewish people had no equivalent for the word adoption. There's no word adoption in in, in ancient Hebrew. There wasn't even the process of adoption. And so the Apostle Paul dips into the Greek and the Roman world that his readers were very familiar with, especially in Galatia, because Galatia wasn't a Jewish culture, it was a Greek-Roman culture. And so when, when he said adoption, here's what came to mind to the readers and the hearers, not babies. Very few people adopted babies in the first century. I mean, you wouldn't really think to adopt a baby because so many of the babies died. In fact, many times they wouldn't even name their children until they were sure the children were going to live. And so they could go days, maybe a few weeks without even having a name. But what the Greek and the Roman culture, cultures commonly did was to adopt, listen, adults. It wouldn't be uncommon for someone to open a letter one day and read, Congratulations, you've been adopted. You didn't have to sign anything. You didn't have to agree to anything. You've just been adopted. So when Paul wrote this letter and and talked about adoption, what his audience heard was, was this. God, who knows you as an adult. God, who knows your sin. God, who knows your failure. God, who knows where you never measure up. God who knows your past. God God who knows every bad thought that has ever passed through your mind. God who knows when you've celebrated something bad happening to someone else. This God sent His Son into the world and He has made it possible for you with all of your junk, with all of your struggles, with all of your insecurities, God has made it possible for you to be adopted into His family. And this is big. Have I said that yet this morning? Again, it's not just that you're forgiven. It's not just that, oh, you get to go to heaven. It's not just, oh, now you're a Christian. It goes beyond that. The broken relationship between you and your Creator has been restored. And now you're a child of His and in a right relationship with God Almighty. Well, then Paul continues on and says, because your sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba Father. Now, I know we've all heard about Abba Father a thousand times. You know, every pastor, every Sunday school teacher, everybody and their dog, they, they like to talk about Abba Father. And, you know, I, I sometimes get tickled when someone starts into this because it's almost like, you know, we think we're the only ones that have ever had insight into this. But would, would you do me a favor this morning? Even though you've heard this a thousand times, would you listen like this is the first time you've ever heard it? Pretend you've never heard this before. Jesus. When He was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, we, we read this in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, but He used a little Aramaic term Abba. It was a term that was so emotional. It was so intimate. In the Greek language, there was no equivalent. The closest that the Greek language had was the word Father. But but here's what Jesus said. He went on a little farther and fell face down on the ground. Of course, this was right before the crucifixion. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass by him, pass him by. He said, Abba, Father, try to capture the emotion. Jesus, knows he's about to die. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Please, please take this cup of suffering away from me. And so Jesus, there in the garden, before his crucifixion, while praying, he was so filled with emotion he used this term of endearment and said, Abba. So, 20 to 25 years after Jesus used this word, Paul, as he's trying to capture the essence of what happened when God sent his son into the world to redeem you and me, he realized, you know, I just can't use the word father. You know, father's too formal, maybe a little bit too cold. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't refer to my, my dad as as Father. Maybe some of you do, and that's okay. But I call him dad. Sometimes daddy. Father just seems too distant. So as Paul is writing this, it's like he's thinking, okay, hmm, how can I capture the essence of a loving and intimate relationship between a God who sent his son to redeem lost and messed up people? And so Paul says, you know, I, I can't think of a word in Hebrew um or greek um let's just go with the aramaic word abba and this literally means and and frankly sometimes it makes me really uncomfortable but it literally means dad or daddy and and i know some people will pray and they'll call god their daddy and for some reason i struggle doing that and but but please understand that there's been a transaction where you're not just forgiven and get a smiley face. And, and it's not just, oh, now you get to go to heaven when you die. And it's not just, yippee, now you can be happy, happy, happy. It's far more personal than that. You've been adopted into the family of God and... And God is not just your Father, but He's your loving, heavenly Abba, Daddy. And and again, that makes me uncomfortable to say it like that, but that's how intimate this phrase really is. And so what if this idea moved from your head to your heart? And when you go to compare yourself with somebody to get your affirmation, you would remember that you've been adopted by God, Creator, and He's that personal Abba, loving, heavenly Father. And, and, and listen, He's a loving, heavenly Dad that doesn't go around comparing His children with others. Have you ever thought about that? Let me just illustrate it this way. This kind of a crude Cedar Cedar County illustration. But let's say that a baby is born into the home of some loving parents. And and they're smitten with love for their... new. we'll just say a little baby girl named Sarah. She's their world. And their world revolves around her. Now, do you think these loving parents would ever say, Okay, well, we love Sarah. She's, She's a sweetie. But as we compare Sarah with Rebecca... You know, Rebecca's our neighbor's daughter. We wish that Sarah, our daughter, were more like Rebecca. We wish she had dimples. And, you know, we wish you know, she had hair. uh, uh, I I mean, Rebecca has such thick, dark hair. Sarah's just bald. When she was coming out, we thought she was breech. And I'm sorry, that wasn't in my notes. I don't know why I said that. And frankly, even though, you know, we love Sarah. She's just flat out ugly and We wish you were more like Rebecca. Now, do you think that any good, loving parent would compare their child like that? Of course not. If they do, they ought to be whooped. So let me ask you this question. Do you think your loving, heavenly Abba father compares you to his other children? (laughs) Do you think God said, oh, you know, as I compare Joe to others... Man, I guess I messed up when I created him. I didn't realize he was going to turn out to be so ugly, and I, I wish he looked more like Gene, or I wish he had a mustache like Larry, or or like Mr. Brandon, or or, or, or Pastor Joe. You, you know, I didn't realize he'd struggle so much preaching. When I compare him with other preachers, I wish he were more like the late Billy Graham. Or, or, Joe, man, when I compare him to other people, he's just a dull boy. Do, do you think our loving, heavenly Abba, dead, compares us to others that way? No. No. He's a personal God, he's Abba. His love is so intimate and special. You see, as long as Christianity is just, yay, I'm forgiven, or yay, I get to go to heaven, or yay, I've been delivered from drugs, or, or yay, this will save my marriage, as, as long as that's the extent of your Christianity, you're not getting the implication of Abba. But what if God really sent His Son into this world to, yes, redeem you, but not stop there. What if God sent His Son into this world so He could make you a son or a daughter where you had such a special relationship to where you could refer to Him in the most intimate of terms and call Him Abba, Dad? So let me ask you, um, whose measuring stick should you use when it comes to evaluating you? Should you use your own measuring stick? Should you maybe use the measuring stick of people around you? You know, what they have, what they don't have? Or or how about this one? It's a good idea. Maybe you should use Hollywood for your measuring stick. Or Or, or here's the thought maybe you should just consider using, as your measuring stick, your wonderful, loving Abba, Father who loves you so dearly. And so, uh, on those days, when we're tempted to say i wish i were as smart as or i wish i were as cute as or i wish i were as skinny as or i wish i were as rich as what if we stopped and remembered that our heavenly father is saying i want you to know that you're fine because you're mine you're fine because you're mine now i'm not finished with you yet I love you just the way you are, but I'm not going to leave you that way. You've got some growing to do. You've got some changing to do. You've got some rough edges I want to file off. But but don't forget, you're fine because you're mine. And he's saying, I want you to start looking to me for your affirmation and approval. And that right there changes everything. Now Now instead of having to seek the approval of everyone around you. All you have to do is seek God's approval and all you have to do is go to bed every night and say, God, I didn't jump as high as he did. I'm not as cute as she is. I don't have as much money as he does. I'm not as skinny as she is. I'm not as smart as he is. But to the best of my ability, I know that I'm in the center of the will of my Abba Father. And if you had to boil it down to boil it down. It's simply this. You need to take your cue about you from the one who made you, loves you, and redeems you. And what that means is this. Instead of looking around to see how you measure up with others and and compare yourself with what what they've done, with what they have, where they've vacationed, what their kids are doing, how good looking their husband or wife is, just take your cue from the one who made you and loves you and redeems you, and he fixed the relationship between you and your Creator. Do you want to know what you'll find? You will find what you've been looking for while you've been trying to outrun and outperform and outweight loss and out-earn and outsell and out everybody else. You will find what you've been looking for, and that is peace. Peace when you lose, peace when you win. Peace when you do well. Peace when you fail. Peace when you make the team. Peace when you don't make the team. Peace when the scale says, way to go. Peace when the scale says, ouch. You will find peace. Remember the scripture that we said last week, envy rots the bones, but peace is found in the center of the will of your loving Abba, Heavenly Father. So, uh, again, what are the implications for us this week? Just look to Him. You need to be in the center of the will of God Creator. Our relationship has been mended. You've been adopted. We can call Him Abba Father. So, this week, let's... uh, let's, you know, maybe one of the things and, and, you know, somebody told me this morning said, you know what, after just kind of this series has started, I've been thinking about it and praying about it. I'm off of Facebook and I'm not saying that that's a spiritual thing to do. I mean, it's not, you're not more spiritual because you're on or off or whatever. That has nothing to do with it, but do with it. But maybe during this time of, of decrease, because as we look at people, were, there, were they vacationed here spring break week? They got to do this. They got to go here. You know what? That stirs some dissatisfaction within us. So maybe during this time as we're just trying to look to Jesus, maybe we want to just forget about what everybody else is doing. And maybe we want to just seek to be obedient to Jesus Christ and be in the center of His will. Amen? Oh God, we've got such a problem with trying to compare ourselves and trying to out everybody else. Lord, I pray that this week we would uh, get our approval from you. Lord, that we would hear the words, you're fine because you're mine. Lord, that we would work hard to be the very best that we can, but God, we need to just understand that. There are going to be people that are better looking. There are going to be people that are more talented. There are going to be people that are more wealthy. There are going to be people that are better liked. There are going to be people with nicer houses, nicer cars, better teeth, skinnier, more muscular, more athletic. Lord, as we look around, we can always find somebody that can do more than we can. And God, that's the way you create us. Next week, we're going to be exploring that, that world of talents. You gave us talents, and you, you chose. Some get five, some get one, whatever. We're going to look at that world next week. But Father, help us to just accept the fact that you love us equally. You love us so much, God, that you sent Jesus to die for us. And you want a relationship with us that is so intimate, so close, because you've adopted us. You chose us. You want us. And you don't compare us with other children. So God, I pray that this week we would would take our cue from you who redeemed us, saved us, transformed us, adopted us. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Bless the word that has been spoken. Maybe some stuff that wasn't spoken that should have been. Lord, you can bring that to our hearts and our minds. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Don't forget to grab a a book, also a devotional book. Uh, We're well into this quarter, but we still have some left. Help yourselves.